Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church of St. Paul, located in Roseville, Minnesota. We are a congregation of Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, a congregation that is united in Christ for the sake of the world. Join us for worship in person or via our live stream Sundays at 11 a.m. You can learn more about us by going to FCCStPaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Now, let us attend to God's wisdom for us today. A shoot shall come from the stump of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decides by what he hears. But with righteousness he will judge for the poor and decide equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt upon his waist and Faithfulness be the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion will feed together. And the child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lay down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. The weaned child shall put his hand in the adler's den. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the Waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall not, shall inquire of him. And his dwelling place shall be glorious. This ends this reading, this holy word. May it be good news to us. In the artistic canon of American folk paintings, there is this image of the peaceable kingdom by Edward Hicks. He was a Quaker painter. 
painting dates back between 1825 and 1830. In the foreground, you see a menagerie of animals. In the background, you see a drawing of William Penn signing the treaties with Native Americans. But in the foreground, what strikes me every time I look at this image is the lion. Now, I don't know much about the good Edward Hicks, but I think he really never had a first-hand access to a lion when he painted his painting. Because the, the lion looks like a lion, if you had never met a lion, but were only told about a lion by somebody else who was told about a lion from somebody else who actually had seen a lion. The image is odd in so much as the lion stares out at you, and every time I look at it, it looks at me and says, what am I doing here? It, it has this surreal moment in the painting, which makes it kind of jarring to actually look at it. The other animals kind of, you get them, they look normal, but that lion, he just, he just doesn't look right. It's, it's the way with this text, I submit to you also, we have this vision of the kingdom of God, which is unnatural at its core. It, it's literally absurd to read this text. The lion and the calf will feed with each other. The leopard and the lion shall, or the leopard shall lie down with the kid. Cows and bears will graze in the same field. Children will play with snakes and not get hurt. Now, I don't know about you, but as a parent, that part really kind of does a number on me. I don't want Gabby putting her hand into any venomous snake den. Doesn't make sense. The other reason why I love this text is because it is the title of a book that um, is important in my ministry. The chapter of the book. The, the book's title is The Wolf Will Lay Down with Lamb. It's by Eric Law. And in the book, in the first chapter, he lays out 
an experience he had which caused him to write the book itself. Eric talked about an intercultural educational experience which led him to see how a natural state of being the kingdom of God is. He once went on for a semester to a seminar on a program for visual communication in faith. And there were two groups in this seminar. One was an English-speaking group. The other was a Spanish and French-speaking group. At the beginning of the seminar, they kind of worked together. But as the semester went on, the groups kind of split and went their own ways. When the English group asked the leaders of this why that was happening, this was the response. We decided not to put the two groups together anymore. We had too many complaints from the French and Spanish groups. They said that whenever the two groups were together, the English group would always took control. And the needs of the French and Spanish-speaking group were always ignored. We often talk about privilege in our political and cultural discourse. It always settles down about who has what, when, where, when. But it's interesting in this text or in this story here, this concept that the language you speak may be a type of privilege. These were people from throughout the world who came to the seminar. Eric goes on in the chapter to state, quote, when the wolf is together with other wolves, everything is fine. When the lamb is together with other lambs, everything is safe and sound. But when you put a wolf and lamb together, inevitably something bad is going to happen. The strike a strong statement there about what we are called to do and be in ministry. And the challenge that lies beyond for us when we attempt to try to bring forth the kingdom of God. Then he comes to probably the most profound but yet obvious insight in the whole book. He states, the vision of the peaceful realm is not the natural state of being. Let me say that again. 
He states that the vision here of the peaceful realm is not a natural state of being. It's interesting how that phrase stands in conversation with our doctrine of creation. There is within theology this concept that God created the earth and it was good. And therefore, it is our responsibility to maintain that goodness for all perpetuity until God comes again. It's a laudable theological argument. You can even look to scripture to find justification for that. Yet, in this text, we're challenged. The natural order of things don't seem to be working. We're challenged to see something odd. We're challenged to observe something absurd with the text. What do we do with this question about natural versus unnatural? I've been sitting wrestling with that question for a long time. Growing up as I have in the environments I had in my church and in the culture I live in, there is this argument within the popular culture about what is natural and what makes it okay or not okay. Often this argument gets drug out in our arguments around homosexuality, gender, and such. This vision causes us to challenge that understanding about the natural order of stuff. And here's where I stand at the moment. For me, life is the ability to grow and reproduce that growth. When we understand that, then there are two hands, if you will, toward life. One, this ability to change in a way that we can continue existing. The other is an ability to take that change and reproduce it over time and over space. And when we look at the biological nature of the way the world works, we can see this happening. Now, I'm not the authority here, my wife is, and I'll let her to teach that. But there is a quality about biology which is important. 
which is that not all biological systems are moral systems. A fire can go through a wooded area and burn down, destroy lives, property. That's natural. The system itself has even ways to manage and cope with that. Two cells divide, and then start dividing, and then start dividing, and then start dividing, and then start dividing, and start dividing in such a way that they can't be regulated anymore. That's cancer. But it is, by definition, the very nature of the biological system of replication of cell material. But I would submit to you, no one would look at cancer and say that's a moral system. The challenge here is to understand how we balance these two hands of creation, one of replication and the other about diversity. Whenever we deal with creation and the theology around it, there is a tendency to argue for what I would call is the naturalistic fallacy. Because something is, doesn't mean, or doesn't mean it should be. You have to impose a moral value on the outset to get there. The profound vision of this text is at the end of the day, the kingdom of God, this concept of God's will being fulfilled through creation, is ultimately a balancing act. A balancing act between our ability to grow and our ability to reproduce that growth in others. And doing it in a way that both may survive, that both may thrive. The gospel order is one of a balance of the enjoyment of the abundance and diversity of life. To do ministry well is to seek that balance and go toward it as best we can. Yeah, we're going to look absurd just like this vision of Isaiah. That's okay. That's how we know we're speaking spiritually. The nature of what we're asking is not the natural order of things, but the divine order which is reflected in the proper balance 
in creation. This Advent season, the theme is preparing for the absurd. For me, this text speaks to that. An ability to not just see things as they are and assume that's the way they ought to be, but to see things as the way God calls them to be and live toward that possibility. May it be so for us. Amen. 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 We hope this week's sermon was nourishment for your soul. If you would like to listen to past sermons, watch past worship services, leave a prayer request, or get directions to our worship location, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. May God be with you on your daily journey.